step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. You're probably already aware of Cast's new true crime investigative podcast, Lost in Panama. But if you haven't caught up, New evidence and testimony has recently been uncovered in the most recent episodes. It is shining new light on this case. The first four episodes of the series set up the foundation of what is known about this case, including a deep dive into the suspicious tour guide, the mysterious photos, and the remains. But episode five launches a whole new direction of investigation into this case. A woman connected to the confirmed homicide of her own son tells us that she knows the same men responsible for her son's death are also responsible for Chris and Lasanne's deaths. Not only that, but she presents to our team a full, detailed story of exactly what happened, how the women were abducted and killed. And somehow, it all adds up. All the pieces start to fit together, or at least start to make more sense. As time begins to run out on the investigation, but with this major breakthrough in hand, the team in Panama must attempt to assemble a compelling enough theory of the case in order to push the Panamanian government to admit that there's more going on here than meets the eye. We need them to reopen this case so that a much closer look can be taken at all the new evidence coming to light and the families affected can finally find some closure all these years later. Will they do it? Listen to all episodes of Lost in Panama, available now wherever you get your podcasts. This episode contains disturbing content, including discussions of sexual abuse. Please take care while listening. Mary Magdalene was an early follower of Jesus Christ. She witnessed his crucifixion and was among the first to see him resurrected. And yet, there isn't a lot written about her in the Bible. Some have claimed she was a repentant prostitute, Others have suggested that she may have been Jesus's wife. There's a lot of room for controversy and interpretation, room for people like Cheryl Ruthven to fill in the blanks. A pastor turned prophet, Cheryl claims to be Mary Magdalene. What bears the power of a prophet's authority? What is the power of a prophet's blood, says God? For a prophet, says God, does not carry the DNA of that of human genes. At least, that's what her former followers are saying. We had to treat her like she was the female Christ. She was Mary Magdalene. And so if she was also Christ, that meant she bore the blood of Christ. And so she would cut herself or prick herself and squeeze it into the communion cup that we all drank from. The question is how. How did Cheryl Ruthven convince her followers that her blood was the blood of Christ and that they should drink it? The answer in this case is very, very slowly. You throw a frog in boiling water, he's going to hop right out because he still has the wherewithal to realize that his safety is threatened. But if you put a frog in a vessel of water and turn the heat up ever so slowly, that frog will boil because at some point they lose the ability to critically assess their surroundings. So to look at them and say, why don't they just get out? They're not stupid people. They're not ignorant. They've just had the water turned up a degree at a time over years and years and years. We're out in the countryside um, just uh, north of a little town called Ferndale. Ferndale is in Whatcom County, which sits in the northwest corner of Washington State. It's a warm summer day, and I'm here with Mark Walker, We're standing at the end of a long gravel driveway. I can tell Mark is not too thrilled to be here. Uh, We're at uh, probably the second house that Cheryl had with the kids, the house that um, they had when they left. Mm -hmm. At the end of the drive behind a row of trees, 
is a beautiful yellow farmhouse standing on close to an acre. Cheryl Ruthven is Mark's ex-wife. She used to live here with their three children. Until one afternoon in 2013. It was February 11th, and it was their youngest daughter's 18th birthday. Her name is Olivia. Mark arrived at their house with a gift. I just went up to the house to see if they were there, and uh, you could just peek in the window and see it was completely empty. Everything was gone. Mark called Olivia's phone. It was disconnected. He then tried to reach his two sons, Landon and Colin, and then he called his ex-wife, Cheryl. All of their phones had been disconnected. One day, they were there. The next day, they were just gone. Mark thought back to the last conversation he had with his daughter, Olivia, a few days before. They had made plans to see each other on that day, on her 18th birthday. Had she been lying to him? I thought she was still in high school, which made it so they couldn't leave, but um, she had actually graduated early, so right on her 18th birthday, they left. It was all a big secret. It was several months before Mark even found out where Cheryl and their kids were living. He learned through a Facebook post that they, along with a group of others, relocated to Tennessee. When you first came up here, did you notice anything different or strange? Well, the for sale sign, which I hadn't seen. I hadn't been out here to see the for sale sign. I always met Olivia in Ferndale for lunch, or she came to my house. So. And what did you think when you first saw that? for sale sign I I knew at some point that I would never see my kids again because of who Cheryl was I just didn't know when who Cheryl was and is well that's why I'm here in Whatcom County talking with Mark Walker in 2013 Cheryl left in the middle of the night with their three children and about 50 members of her ministry She told her followers to lie to their friends, families, and employers about where they were going and why they were leaving. I've talked with multiple people who claim that Cheryl Walker, who now goes by Cheryl Ruthven, essentially stole their family members. Not by force, but through brainwashing. And they want them back. There is a trail of destruction that leads from Whatcom County, Washington, all the way to Columbia, Tennessee. And it involves broken families, drained bank accounts, and strangely, a lot of cats. Let me put it this way. Having 40 cats in your house at one time is not exactly... 40. 40 cats. Did you say 40? 40. 40. Yes. four zero. We were made to believe that if we didn't take care of these cats, that our lives would be snuffed out and taken away from us. And she sent the word that if we didn't do what she said do, that we would be annihilated. Cheryl has been called many things. To some, she is a savior, a prophet, Mary Magdalene. To others, she is a witch, a con artist, and a cult leader. To Mark Walker, she is the person who turned his own children against him. I guess I'm curious why you want to talk about it? I don't know if you want to talk about it, but why you are talking with us about this whole thing. I really don't want to talk about it, but if there's any hope for anybody to get out of a situation that they're in, even my children, which, you know, are now adults, I guess you got to give them a a try. Mm -hmm. But you will be the last people I talk to about this. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist, a podcast about regular people who turn sinister simply by embracing opportunity. This is season three, episode one of four on Cheryl Ruthven and Eva's Eden. I'm Hannah Smith. I went to a Walmart one day and I bought some new CDs. And uh, when I got to my car and started opening them so I could play them in my CD player, there opened the package and there wasn't a CD in one of them. This was 2004. Mary Gunderson Lancaster was 27 years old. She had been unsatisfied with her church for a while because it wasn't spiritual enough. She was yearning for something more. That day, she went back into the Walmart to exchange the CD. Between that time of me grabbing the CD, going to my car, coming back... 
Somebody placed a business card for the church Cheryl was the pastor of. It was Freedom Fire Ministries at the time. And I don't know if it was in the exact same spot of that CD, but it was right in that area. What are the chances that Mary would buy that one CD with the missing disc, which would prompt her to go back into Walmart and find a card for Freedom Fire Ministries? She believed it was a sign from God. Mary went to a Freedom Fire church service to check it out. Went there, it was very lively, very spirited. Uh, Cheryl's a very charismatic, beautiful woman. And so I was very drawn to her, very drawn to her ministry, her church. She definitely moved in all the gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, holy rolling, flags are flying, dancing in the spirit, all those things. And uh, I just, yeah, I was very much enamored by it all. Cheryl was the pastor of Freedom Fire Ministries. She is almost six feet tall with long blonde hair, and she often wore flowy dresses that made her look angelic, ethereal. She liked to single out newcomers like Mary and give them words from God in front of the entire congregation. Mary doesn't remember the specifics of what Cheryl said to her that first time, but she remembers how it made her feel. She was able to read people very well. You know, if you already know how to read people and you're already so eloquent and you're already so charismatic, it's like the combination of those things from a beautiful woman uh, speaking so eloquently to you as though God was channeling through her. Yeah, you, you hook, line, and sink. You get towed in. When Cheryl focused all of that attention on you, it could make you feel like a million bucks. She made you feel special. <laughs> She made you feel unique and that whatever you had to offer her ministry was God-given. You were a powerful person. I was a powerful person because of what I could offer to the ministry and to her. Mary started attending Freedom Fire, and right away, Cheryl showed a special interest in her. She asked Mary to play the piano during the services. So I'd be at the piano and I would play, and I was just seeing whatever came to me or whatever I thought God was speaking through me. As you know, music is a powerful thing, right? We listen to it to help lift our moods, or when we're feeling sad, it helps us really get in tune with our sadness, or, you know, whatever we use music for, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool. And so she knew instantly that I was somebody that she needed in her ministry. Eventually, Mary would become the worship leader for Cheryl's ministry, and then she would go on to set up a recording studio with her own money to write and record songs for Cheryl. This is one of the songs that Mary wrote and recorded while she was following Cheryl. Magdalene, Magdalene, the grail. She's the voice, she's the voice of prophecy. And the truth, and the truth. Mary thought that Freedom Fire was a Pentecostal church, but around the time she joined in 2004, Cheryl was beginning to incorporate new practices and beliefs. First, they started celebrating Jewish holidays. High holy days like Rosh Hashanah. And then slowly, like, our toes starting to get dipped into Taoism, Eastern mysticism, uh, doing, like, Tai Chi, and then kind of starting to slowly progress into New Age. So that's everything from, like, crystals... Uh, chakras, uh, special (laughs) gemstones, as it crossed into each of these different thresholds of religion, even into paganism, Wiccan, uh, witchcraft. Like, you thought, wow, this woman is so amazingly in tune with God and the universe and these pathways and the way she would teach it to us and like weave them in in this very interesting and amazing way. Cheryl's teachings departed from any specific text or doctrine. Instead, she preached about whatever God revealed to her. As Cheryl incorporated new religious practices into her ministry, she presented the information as if each new idea had been divinely revealed to her. It wasn't until after Mary left the group that she realized that a lot of those ideas did not originate with Cheryl. I started reading other authors and I was like, oh my God, This is what Cheryl taught us. And so she basically plagiarized everything out there, just had a very unique way of twisting it all together, making it sound like it was coming from God to her. 
To add to that, she forbade us from doing online research. She made it very, very clear that we were not to go online and research. That seems like, how do you say that in a way that, that doesn't sound suspicious? Thus saith the Lord. The second voice you hear is Rachel Gunderson, Mary's younger sister. When Mary first started attending Cheryl's church, she had no idea what she was actually signing up for. If she had known what the next decade of her life would be like because of Cheryl, well, she never would have gone back to Freedom Fire. And she certainly wouldn't have invited her sister Rachel to start attending. But she didn't know. And she was already smitten with Cheryl. She was sold. She was all in. And soon, Rachel would be as well. A right turn, um, right after the Mexican restaurant. And then you're just kind of bare right after the turn, and, and we'll be at the building. Okay. I went on a trip to Whatcom County, where Cheryl's ministry was located from 2001 to 2013, at which time she relocated to Tennessee. Both Mary and Rachel followed Cheryl to Tennessee in 2013, And they both still live in the Nashville area, but have since left Cheryl's group. Coincidentally, Rachel Gunderson was in town during my trip, visiting family. So we met up and drove around Whatcom County. Rachel took me to the place where Freedom Fire used to meet. It's a nondescript building next to a freeway on-ramp. Where these windows are right here is where we were. Rachel first walked into this building in 2004. Well, uh, to set the stage of when I walked in... The music is going, it's really loud, but not in a bad way. And there are, you know, people with their arms raised and they're really into it. And then there's women with flags dancing. And then you got Cheryl up front speaking in tongues and it's just this frenzy. This is a recording of one of those church services that Rachel's talking about. Father, I call down the fire upon your people. It's very emotion-evoking. Just like when you're at a concert and everyone's having a really good time, everyone gets swept into how what the nature of it, and it's kind of like that with church. Or going into this church, it was, you're just swept in. So then, what happened from there? You joined, at first things were good. Definitely for the first year, it was almost magical, because I had this new big family. It doesn't take too long, though, for Cheryl's paranoia. And maybe it was always there. She just didn't, I didn't see it fast enough Hmm. because it would just be in little things. Cheryl was preaching more and more about the apocalypse, the end of the world, about coming disaster and chaos and pain. But she also said that God spoke directly to her, sometimes through visions. This is a tape of her speaking about one of those visions. So I had a vision last night, and it was, um, Rochelle had sent me an article that was about, they had discovered um, some kind of um, cosmetic jars, perfume jars, oil jars, in Maglia, in Israel, where um, Mary Magdalene has lived. And so she sent me this article, the anointing was completely ballistically off the charts when I just had read it, because um, they were as they were mine. Cheryl describes seeing a photograph of perfume jars uncovered in an archaeological site in Israel that may have been from the time of Mary Magdalene. She says she recognizes the jars as if she has seen them before. She was a prophet of God, and she carried within her a degree of energy because of different practices of things of knowledge, secrets that she held that others simply did not. And because of what she held, she had an energy force within her That is, Christ and Mary Magdalene, as they did come together, and as, yes, I do believe that actually they were married, as they did come together, they produced that of an offspring, which is what you are, the 144,000. Cheryl is saying that her followers are part of the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation, the group of people that God will save during the apocalypse. She also says that Mary Magdalene will lead the 144,000 to salvation. So although she doesn't overtly say it, she strongly implies that she is Mary Magdalene. And then she says this. Do not think, 
because the minute you think, your mind's going to become clouded and you will lose your way. You know it. In 2004, 2005, even 2006, Cheryl was not yet calling herself Mary Magdalene. She was the pastor. She was the prophet. But she was laying the groundwork to eventually transform into a god on earth. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So how did we get here? How did this woman, Cheryl, become a leader of a group of people who would eventually see her as a literal God on earth, as Jesus's wife, Mary Magdalene, and the key to their eternal salvation. One of the reasons I came to Whatcom County is to talk with Mark Walker, Cheryl's ex-husband. If anyone can tell me more about Cheryl before she was a prophet, it's Mark. So I went to see him and his wife, Mary, at their lake house. I know there are a lot of people named Mary in this story. Mary Walker, Mark's wife, greets me and holds back their dog Boone as I come inside. So cute. Oh, and his color is so pretty. He's enormous. She offers me a drink and we all sit down at their kitchen island to talk. I have to say, I get the feeling that the only reason Mark is even talking with us at all is because of Mary. She has encouraged him to speak out about his story. Mark has not seen or spoken with any of his three children since 2013. All he has left of their lives together are some old photos. We went on a trip to the Grand Caymans and, um, um, you know, dove. Colin could dive down and get conch shells with just a snorkel. And it was really impressive, actually. A little kid diving down there and grabbing the conchs off the bottom about 12 feet down. And, you know, we went fishing. This photo album, it's a bunch of snapshots of a happy family in the late 80s and early 90s. A dad with his three kids, jumping on a trampoline, posing at the beach, or just sitting on a couch in their living room. Who is this? That's Colin. That's Colin. Okay, yeah, because 88. Yeah. Lana wasn't born until 89. He turns the page. It's a shirtless photo of his two sons smiling with red marks all over them. Chicken box. <sighs> You guys look happy. Yeah. I know Cheryl was around during all of these times, but she isn't in any of the photos. Perhaps she's just out of frame, maybe taking the pictures herself. I wouldn't call her a doting mother, um, but she made dinner and it was more normal. Oh, there were, there were happy times. There were a lot of happy times. I mean, um... Before she met Mark, she was Cheryl Snow. She grew up attending a community church on and off with her family in Priest Lake, Idaho in the 70s. Eventually, Cheryl and her family moved to Spokane, Washington, where she and her brothers went to a Seventh-day Adventist school. We reached out to Cheryl's two brothers, as well as her mother, Georgia. No one agreed to an interview, but we were able to speak with someone who knew Cheryl in high school who wanted to remain anonymous. Cheryl attended Mount Spokane Mead High School and graduated in 1981. Apparently, she had a lot of friends, the occasional boyfriend. She just seemed like a normal teenager. After high school, she went on to attend Eastern Washington University for less than a year. She met Mark Walker in the fall of 1984. This is Mark again. Well, uh, she was actually working at Nordstrom, and uh, my mom was buying something, and um, she said I needed to go down and uh, ask this gal out, and um, so I did. She was easy to talk to. Uh, We talked easily. They were married on April 19th, 1985, after dating for just six months. My uh, parents basically did not want us to get married. And um, three days into the marriage, it was pretty much over. And uh, I was raised in a Christian family. I didn't believe in divorce. 
Mark and Cheryl had three children, Colin in 1986, Landon in 1989, and Olivia in 1995. So for years, we would go to a church and she wouldn't like it, go to church. So we never actually went to church. You know, we'd periodically go to a church and there was something wrong with it. She started going to Gates of Praise. It had a messianic bent to it. It was very Pentecostal. And she got me to go. And the Pentecostal stuff, I'd never been around. It was kind of enjoyable. It's kind of fun. And it's totally different than sitting in a pew. Pentecostalism emphasizes the direct experience of the presence of God by the believer. Part of the Pentecostal tradition includes speaking in tongues, or glossolalia. It's a practice in which people utter speech-like sounds, often thought of as a divine language. In 1997, Mark and Cheryl started attending Gates of Praise Pentecostal Church. The church services were held in a building in downtown Bellingham, Washington. I wanted to see it in person because, well, without Gates of Praise, there might not even be a story to tell. Well, the main part of the building was the same, but the doors were different. The entry was on the south side, and now it's on the west side. Mark said Cheryl was passionate about Gates of Praise. She never missed a service, which at the time was odd to him because she had never seemed that religious. I mean, she really wasn't a church person. She really wasn't even a Christian person. So I was a little surprised that she was involved in it as much as she was. Thinking about what, you know, was appealing to her, I'm so curious. Like, what was it? Do you think part of it was Debbie? I, I think I think Cheryl had the personality to do what Debbie did, and uh, I think eventually she became better at it than Debbie. But I think Debbie showed her how to do it. Debbie Lynch was the pastor at Gates of Praise. Debbie and Cheryl got close, very close. Even though Cheryl has always been charismatic and well-liked, she didn't have a lot of close friends. But she and Debbie clicked immediately. They shared a passion for the mystical, demon possession, deliverance, and the apocalypse. Cheryl quickly became Debbie's right-hand person, even preaching from time to time. This is a recording of a church service at Gates of Praise. Cheryl is speaking. And I know that, I know it's going to be real quick. It's just going to explode. It's just going to explode, and we're going to see everything that we have fought for is going to begin to just come in, and it's going to be easier. It's just it's going to be easier. Be healed, boom. Mm-hmm. They're going to be up and be healed, and it's not going to be the intensity that we're, that we're going through right now. Debbie and I have had many a long talk and said, you know, how much longer? How much longer? It's like, it's like the birds are eating of the fruits, but it's because we're on the brink. Cheryl was spending more time with Debbie at the church and less time with Mark. This is another recording of Cheryl speaking at Gates of Praise during this time. Any vows or curses that have come upon that, or, you know, you're my very dearest friend and I really love you so much more than I do my husband. Okay, any kind of vows. I'm trying to think of everything. But everything changed in the year 2000. There was an incident between Debbie's son and Cheryl's son, Colin. I asked Mark about this incident, and he told me, It's not his story to tell, but that Debbie's son did serve time in jail for it. It caused Cheryl and Debbie to have a falling out. Cheryl left Gates of Praise and started her own church, Freedom Fire Ministries. Looking back now, do you feel like Cheryl had been planning to leave at some point and try to take followers? Absolutely. It's a terrible thing that happened, but terrible things are used for for people that are opportunists. A significant number of Gates of Praise attendees followed Cheryl when she left, including Ted Johnson, which is a pseudonym. He didn't want us to use his real name. Ted attended Gates of Praise with his wife and daughter. They all followed Cheryl after the split. Cheryl was more or less in the spiritual teacher type realm at Gates of Praise and such. So we just thought, well, you know, why don't you just be the pastor, you know, and And that's basically how this place got started. Cheryl had a captive audience. Mark told us she would sometimes spend two hours getting dressed, doing her hair and makeup before her services. He recalls Cheryl listening to televangelist Joyce Meyer and then emulating her style of speaking. She'd watch her to see what she did because Joyce at that point had huge crowds. And so she was actually 
trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I do what she's doing? And you know, how do I, I listen to what she's saying? I'm watching how she does it, and she'd actually, you know, kind of practice off of what uh, Joyce was doing. This is from Joyce Meyer's program, Enjoying Everyday Life, which ran on TBN for 13 seasons, starting in 1993. Here's a good example. This is just one of the things that I do, just because just I, uh, I just want to be that kind of person who just always takes it up to the next level. Let's just say your paycheck is, or say you get an amount of money, $274.10. So your tithe on that would be $27.41. Well, if it were me, I wouldn't write my check off for $27.41. I'd kick it up to 30 bucks. Just to show the devil that I was going to be the kind of person that would always go the extra mile. Cheryl was watching, observing, learning from Debbie Lynch, from Joyce Myers. And by the end of 2001, she had her own group of followers, her own ministry. And she called it Freedom Fire. We stand in the place of Freedom Fire Ministries where the fire falls and the freedom comes, and that we are workers within the promised land, God, to set your people free in this hour. Freedom Fire Ministries started out meeting for worship in living rooms since they didn't yet have their own location. It was, by all accounts, a grassroots effort. This is Ted again. We, we met in houses for a while, but then after that, we rented a little place and uh, continued to build the church. It was, it was great. It was fun. It was biblically based. Everything was uh, good for a while. And things started slowly changing. Um, yeah, yeah, things started changing. Freedom Fire Ministries moved into their own building in Bellingham, Washington in 2001, the same building that Mary and Rachel would walk into a few years later in 2004 and become enamored with Cheryl. By that point, Cheryl would already be calling herself a prophet and hinting that she would be the key to salvation at the end of the world. The thing about end times prophets is that they are nothing without the end times. If the apocalypse is not an imminent threat, then there is no need for a savior. It would become increasingly important to Cheryl to make sure her followers believed that the end of the world was right around the corner. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Rachel and Mary are very close, but for the decade that they followed Cheryl, they drifted apart. They grew distrustful of each other. Any information that was shared amongst them would eventually find its way to Cheryl. So they stopped confiding in one another. But there was a lot going on with Mary that her sister Rachel didn't know, things that Mary never told anyone until recently. See, Cheryl did not treat all of her followers equally. Sometimes you were in her favor, and other times you were not. When Mary joined Freedom Fire in 2004, Cheryl showered her with favor. She was in Cheryl's good graces right away. Looking back now, Mary understands that she was useful to Cheryl. She had a lot to offer. Music is a powerful tool for evoking emotions, and Cheryl was looking for someone who could lead worship, but also write and record songs for and about her. And Mary was the perfect candidate for that. So Cheryl wanted to make sure that Mary stuck around. Okay, so this is where it's, uh, I've not shared publicly before. Um, so it might get a little hard. It's one thing telling, you know, talking to a, a close friend or sister. Um, so uh, I started playing my music for her. She started to uh, incorporate incorporate me into her services and uh at some point I would say probably early May she started inviting me to her home um to spend time with her just to do a little backstory so I knew at the age of I was in kindergarten I knew I was gay 
uh, I knew I was different. I thought as like a five, six year old wondering why I was a boy stuck in a girl's body and not, it wasn't gender dysphoria. It was more like I liked girls, but I'm a girl, but I'm not a boy. So that's not right. Um, but I knew at an early age also that the way I felt was a sin, forbidden, evil, condemnable by God. So I learned at a very young age to hide that part of me. Mary didn't come out to anyone as a young woman. Instead, she says she spent a lot of time wishing and praying not to be gay. There was a lot of depression, a lot of sadness, uh, a lot of suicidal thoughts at times that I wanted to die because I couldn't be who I was. I had to hide it. Mary was 27 when she met Cheryl. She had never been in a relationship or anything even close to it. Suddenly, this beautiful, charismatic, powerful woman was paying attention to her. She drew me into her home and was making me a part of her life and her three kids' life. And we were talking late one night, and she uh, had me sit on the floor next to the fireplace with her. And she says, God's telling me that you and I need to have a covenant with each other. We need to be bonded. And she says, I want you to seal this covenant with a kiss. (laughs) God, I must have been like a deer caught in the headlights because I didn't know what to do. I was scared. I was mesmerized. I was hopeful. You know, I was curious. So I gave gave her this little peck on the cheek, right? And uh, at the time, I guess that was enough. About a week later, Cheryl invited Mary to meet her at the sanctuary late at night to pray and play music. Mary says Cheryl brought up the covenant kiss yet again and said, this time we have to do it right. And uh, on the floor of that sanctuary, she, uh, we, it was not a peck on the cheek. So it, it went pretty far. Um, and, uh, from that moment on, uh, we started a sexual relationship. Uh, I would spend most weekends at her home, uh, spend the night. It was it went very deep, went very fast, very connected. Uh, every waking moment, I was thinking of her. You know, I fell in love, basically. Mary didn't tell anyone about what was going on between her and Cheryl, Outwardly, Cheryl preached against homosexuality, calling it a sin. Privately, she told Mary that God wanted them to have a sexual relationship. This was May of 2004, one month after Mary joined Freedom Fire. So mid-August, she's basically starting to push me out uh, romantically. And she, it it was like one moment, you know, it was very tight, very close to within a day or two of being completely ousted out of that part of our relationship. I was very much broken. And I was at the point, it was like, well, I will still serve her. I will still be there for her and do everything for her because I love her. And maybe in my thoughts is a 27 year old was like, maybe she'll take me back. Cheryl would never take Mary back. But Mary would continue to serve Cheryl for the next 10 years of her life. She would give her tens of thousands of dollars and countless hours of her time. She would literally cut herself and pour out her blood at Cheryl's request. And in 2013, she would move her entire life to Columbia, Tennessee. She got me. She, she had me in her grasp, and I didn't even realize at the time like how encumbered I was to her and didn't realize that she just knew how to way to manipulate that love I had for her to have me continue to serve her. At that time, Mary was living in a house with her younger sister, Rachel. This is Rachel. Mary just goes further and further into a depression. And I don't know how to ask about it. We, we there Because there was a barrier. Like, I knew that Mary was sad because of Cheryl, but you don't ask questions or question a prophet So I didn't have the maturity and the understanding to know how to help her during this time. In August of 2004, when Cheryl ended things with Mary, Mary suddenly lost Cheryl's favor publicly. And this is how it happened. 
Cheryl had us doing regular prayer meetings at the church without her. We, during the week, several times during the week, we would have to be there for prayer meetings. One particular prayer meeting got a little fervent. Um, lots of praying, speaking aloud in tongues and crying and wailing. But someone in that group, not my sister, was speaking in a speaking in tongues in a language sounding similar to Cheryl's. She apparently had a claim on a certain speaking in tongues. Cheryl had multiple tongues or divine languages that were supposedly revealed to her by God. She had one that she called her Eastern tongue which was the tongue in question at this service. We have a recording of Cheryl speaking in that Eastern tongue, and I'm going to play it for you. But I want to preface it by saying that my intention is not to make fun of Cheryl or people who speak in tongues as part of their religious practice. I think it's important that you hear what it sounds like because of the consequences that followed. I also want to say I grew up in a church where people were regularly speaking in tongues, It was a personal expression of worship to God. But I've never heard anything quite like this. Word got back to Cheryl that someone at that prayer meeting had spoken in tongues in a way that sounded similar to Cheryl's eastern tongue. This enraged Cheryl so much that she called everyone back to the church that night around 11 o'clock. It sounds so silly, but she called us all back there to decide who it was and to lay punishment on them. And a bunch of women said it was Mary. I just remember being like, what the? I, just being blown away because I, Mary wouldn't do that. She's scared as a dog. She's a mouse right now. How could you accuse her of doing something? She's so terrified to talk aloud in your presence. Mary's punishment was isolation. Rachel was told to move out of the house that they lived in together and to stop communicating with her sister. And for about a year, Mary was still allowed to be part of the church, but she was treated as an outcast by Cheryl. And then everyone else followed suit. And so if you can imagine where Mary's at, her already having a level of depression that's pretty consuming and have that happen where she is called an evil betrayer in front of everyone. After she had been the closest thing to Cheryl to that depth and having her sister torn away from her for a year and some months. Cheryl would eventually discover new information that would save her followers in the end times. The secret to their salvation? It came to her through the Egyptian goddess Bastet, also known as the god of the cats. She believed that they carried the souls of the 144,000, that if we didn't save these cats, those souls would not save us later. So it wasn't just a cat. We were carrying for a very special life. And if we didn't care for for this life enough, it was going to come back on us. Yeah, so she basically called them vessels. When the apocalypse would happen, these saints, 144,000 angels, would come through the cats as a conduit to save us. This cat is a vessel for the 144,000. And when the shit hits the fan, uh, this being... One of God's special beings is going to come into this cat and somehow, I mean, I don't know if it was going to morph into a human, I don't know, (laughs) but this cat would somehow be our saviors during this time of nuclear wars, you know, Holocaust, food shortages, water shortages, war. But because we saved these cats, we were going to be saved during those times. Do you remember, if you can, I mean, think back to that time and that mindset, um, Were you afraid of all of those things? Like, did you feel like it was a present danger as far as the apocalypse and the world ending? Very much so. And did you think that these cats were like a ticket to help you? I I would say to answer that question, I would say Cheryl was the ticket to save us. And because Cheryl was telling me to do this, if I did this, it would save me. I think it's important to remember the frog in the slowly boiling water. After all, 
no one chooses to join a cult. They just find themselves in one. As Cheryl morphed the church's practices over time, as she became less of a pastor and more of a god, it's not that people didn't have questions or concerns. It's that it happened so slowly. Over the course of years, Cheryl's followers began to believe that she was their ticket to salvation. She has made the believers, the followers, believe that if they believe in her and they follow her, that they will be part of the 144,000 very elect of God and that their afterlife will be fantastic. And then once she has them believing that, then she tells them they need to give her all their money. And that's really what it's all about. That's what drives her, the money. Mark Walker knows the power of the slow, continual indoctrination over years. He knows what it can do to a person, to a family. And he's not the only one. There are others who have lost their children as well. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with River Donahue, Pesha Eaton, Amanda Elliott, and Kate Mays. Colin Thompson is our executive producer and music supervisor. Anton Doty is our editor and music editor. Matt Sewell is our audio mixer and master. The cover art is by Arvin Lee. The ending credits song is Redemption's Gone by Tim John Howarth and James Patrick Kaleth. You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. A I go wherever I may go This blazing sun A shadow cast on Jagger Road I save myself The suffered love And I found my way A beauty strong is up my own relation Redemption's gone Redemption's gone
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.